All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be back here and seeing a bunch of people that I haven't seen in a long time and a bunch of people that I haven't ever seen. So uh, <laughs> sorry if I haven't gotten to meet you yet. I'm Jonathan Young. I, uh, I went here for a, a long time, um, up until about two and a half years ago, actually. I left to go, my wife and I were called to Lewisburg to plant a church. So it's actually been two and a half years since we came here, which is crazy, um, but it's flown by. And uh, Tim invited me to come back and uh, preach for a Sunday, and it timing was perfect, worked out very well for us. Um, I guess I'll start out with a little bit of testimony about what the Lord's been doing um, with us in Lewisburg. So when we were called... It was, uh, it was a challenging thing because we were heavily involved here. We were involved in children's ministry. We, were, um, we enjoyed teaching and the fellowship and, and just being involved in a growing ministry here. And then all of a sudden, and uh, very amazingly, uh, miraculously even, God called us to go to Lewisburg. It involved a strong southeastern wind that destroyed some things and uh, changed our lives and confirmed that we were done with some of the things we thought we'd be here doing for a while, and uh, and then we were gone. It was time to leave. The Lord said go, and so we listened, and it was it was amazing that He did that. Um, and you know, there's more to that story if you're ever interested in it. But uh, but for right now, when He called us. He, he put two big things on our heart. One was the story of Philip. Philip was called to, he went to Samaria and was involved in ministry there. And it was a booming ministry. A lot was going on and people were being saved. But then in the midst of this, God called him out to go to a desert place. And, and he had to trust God. Oh, the Lord's speaking to me. No. Uh, he had to trust God and, uh, and go and follow him. And it was for the sake of one person, for the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch that he met out in the desert that, that came to believe and follow the Lord and was baptized in a desert, amazingly. There was water there, another miracle. And then he was just taken away from the desert place miraculously, Philip was gone. But God called him there for that one person. So I was praying on that story, and I said, Lord, even if it's just for the sake of one person, I will go to Lewisburg, and I'll trust you. And then the Lord spoke to my wife, Kyla, that he was bringing us to minister to sheep without a shepherd. So that was, okay, what does that mean, Lord? We'll just pray on that and go and trust you and see what happens. And so over the course of our, these last two and a half years, uh, we've seen quite a few people um, that the Lord's used us to minister to, um, whether they came and uh, fellowshiped at our house for church or us in the community. Um, and we've seen one family in particular that has been the whole time and God's used us heavily. Uh, they moved there right around the same time we did, and it was evident that God put us there so that we could be there for them and minister to them. And so I take that, I claim that as an answer to that prayer and that calling. And, and praise the Lord, yeah, it's awesome. 
that he did that. And then two, in the community, we became very involved in some groups, and we met some really strong Christian people there that weren't going to church. We met these, these families that had been kind of disillusioned by their church experience, but they, I mean, they're like on fire for God, believing them as a family. They were, you know, ministering in their household. They were seeking to serve the Lord. They were truly in God's word, seeking to know him more all the time. And great people. And, and God used us to go and speak to them. And of course, I'm thinking, oh man, now these people are going to start going to church and this is going to be a foundation and we're going to, Lord, you're just going to build this church in our house and it's going to be great. Oh no, that, that was my idea. That wasn't God's. Um, they, they didn't start coming to church with us. But what God did is he used us to challenge them and to say, hey, don't give up. Keep seeking God. Go find a place to fellowship. Go find a place to worship. Keep looking. Don't just be complacent and say, well, uh, those churches didn't work out, so I'm just going to seek God on my own. We need to not forsake the gathering. And so God used us in the lives of these people, and he answered both of these callings that he called us there. So, you know, the moral of the story, I guess, as they would say, is that sometimes you go, God calls you, don't get ideas of what you think he's calling you there for, don't get ideas of what you think he's going to do and why he's called you there, or what the end result is going to look like, or that, oh, this is just a part of, you know, when God tells me this is what I'm going there for, that's just a part of it, and then there's this other big thing, like I'm going to be you know, establishing the church that changes the world. You know, don't, don't start thinking things outside of what God has called you to because he has a specific calling for you at any place in your life, whatever it is, and if you trust him and seek him through that, he will fulfill it. And so we've seen that. I wanted to give that praise report and share it for the, uh, for the fellowship so that you might be encouraged. And, uh, you know, that's what God's been doing, and we're excited. Um, right now, we just had a baby in uh, September. Yes, very excited about that. Very excited. And the Lord just happened to, I mean, it was miraculously how everything was orchestrated. The groups that we were involved in, in the community, the people that were coming to our church, everything, all of those challenges that, and even my work, you know, still working full-time, a lot was happening. Over the last year, it's been a very challenging year with a lot of consuming time in ministry. And, uh, you know, it's really a, a, not the ministry of the church, but the a ministry in the town. There was a separate ministry that we were heavily involved in. And then in work, it was very consuming and exhausting and we were like, and then we find out we're pregnant, and we're like, praise the Lord, but oh my goodness, <laughs> how are we going to handle this? And, but God, he brought all of those struggles to an end, and, and it came to this just time that we're in a clearing, and I, I call it kind of a sabbatical, that we've had this time of rest, and, and fortunately, you know, we're, it's part of the reason why we're available to come here, and we've been able to do some other things um, you know, during this time of rest. So that's been a huge blessing, and uh, I'm glad for it. 
And but please pray with us about what the next step is. Um, you know, if we are to uh, continue, we we obviously still ministering to a few people there in the in the Lewisburg area, but praying about what that's going to look like. Um, so please be in prayer with us about those next steps and where we go from here, because it's it's at this point a mystery and praying for revelation of what that will be, but excited to see what it's going to be. All right, so let's see. Can all oh, right? It fits. Awesome. That's probably dangerous, but it'll work. All right, today we are actually going to pick right up where, uh, where I've been teaching in our home church for a while. We've been in the book of Galatians. And the last few weeks, I haven't been teaching it. Um, we've just been kind of reading the Bible and doing some other things, and we haven't continued on. And then when Tim asked me to come uh, teach here, uh, I prayed about it, and I kind of felt led on my heart that, you know, just go ahead and do this. So we're picking up in Galatians 5. We're going to do verses 1 through 18 today. And I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory because context is everything. Context is so important in anything you read in Scripture. You need to know the context. <clears throat> All right. See if I can get everything settled in here. So when I was praying about coming here to teach, you know, two things that God's been working in my heart over this, I guess, sabbatical time or whatever you want to call it that he's brought us to has been understanding our relationship with God, his calling for us, and times of working hard and times of not working hard, because on both sides of that coin, there can be struggles in a Christian's heart to say, oh, I'm exhausted. I've just been, you know, I've just been working for God. Is this really what he wants me to do? Or I don't see fruit in my life. I don't see him doing things. Is this really where he wants me to be? Well, so there's, there's two sides of this. Um, and, one, and before we even talk about it, we need to understand that God is, is very... His ways are above our ways, and He, in some ways, is impossible for us to understand. And uh, my friend Ron here told me a wonderful quote uh, regarding uh, God's, uh, God's nature and man's free will, that this, they're like two parallel lines that continue on throughout all eternity, and like you know that they both are there, but you can't understand how they don't ever cross. It just... It looks like they're going to cross eventually, but they don't ever really. And you, like our minds can't understand that optical illusion. And in the same way, we can't understand how God can, he can really be two things that don't make sense to us. He is one, and yet he is three persons. How does that work? God does it, and that's the answer. God is sovereign, and nobody can overcome his will and, you know, nobody is going to tell him what to do, yet we have free will. So Abraham challenges God. I mean, that's kind of a rough word to use, but he says, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's 50 people, if there's 40, if there's 20, 
You know, and he just keeps arguing with God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing, Abraham? God said he's going to do it. Just get out of the way. Or Moses, when God says, these people rebelled against me after 40 days. I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, no, please give them another chance. And God changes his mind. What in the world? It's crazy. But that's God, and that's God's grace. Somehow, God is this all-powerful, just God, but he is also perfect and has grace to meet us where we're at and to be understanding of our humanity. He's never accepting of our sin. He's never in a, there's never excuse. He is still just, but somehow he still has grace to work with us. It's crazy. So, really understanding God's grace is, is an amazing task. And it's an amazing thing to meditate on and read through the whole word of God and think about that. And think about God's grace. And, I mean, how important that is. But yet, man's works. They are important. We will see, Paul writes in the second letter of Corinthians, that we are all going to stand before God and our works will be judged, the good and the bad. We can, we're going to face that someday. So those two things exist. Those two things are very real. And God is just as loving, just as gracious and we are just as responsible for what we do. And somehow, God does that. And he makes it perfect. So, with that kind of mental puzzle going on in the background, let's, let's get to the book of Galatians. And I'm going to, we're going to really study the whole book here today. It'll be a couple hours, but we'll get done. No, it'll be background, context, and then we'll, we'll dig in. So, first, <coughs> Galatians, a Pauline epistle, or uh, <laughs> a letter of Paul. And he wrote it to the book, the uh, Church of Galatia, where he had previously visited. And he wrote them for a very specific purpose. He wrote them because he knew heresy was being taught. Heresy is a fancy word for wrong teaching. Somebody was teaching them the wrong things, leading them in the wrong direction. So Paul was addressing it. And he wrote them passionately, pleading for them to turn from this and turn from the deception that was being taught. So he starts out in the first chapter. He reaches out to them and says, Hey, guys, remember that gospel I taught you. If anybody comes to you, even angels from heaven come and preach a different gospel, even me myself, if I come and preach a different gospel, ignore that. If I do that, something's gone wrong with me, and just kick me out. Be done with me. The first gospel was the real gospel, and stick with it. And the origin of Paul's gospel was not himself. He says, that it was a revelation. In verse 12 of, of uh, chapter 1, he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And then he went off as a, as a Jew that had been indoctrinated in the, the word of God. And he went off and he meditated on it and studied it for three years to understand that gospel message that Jesus revealed to him. And then, chapter 2, he comes back and he confirms that gospel with the apostles. And you know what? It's been 14 years that he spent teaching the gospel, and now he comes to Jerusalem and he confirms it with the apostles that this is the true doctrine. And you know what? They didn't have anything to change. They said, yep, that's the gospel. You got it right. You've been teaching it. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So his gospel is not only sourced from the source, Jesus Christ, but it has been affirmed by the authority of the apostles in Jerusalem. So, hey, this gospel was the real gospel. Don't depart from it. I don't care who says depart from it. Stick with it. That's the truth. And then, chapter 3, he begins to address the, the false teaching. So, I guess before I step into that, at the end of chapter 2, he kind of highlights what this gospel is. A very famous verse, 19 through 21, he says, uh, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So I am changed by being crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. That's the gospel message. I come to him, I repent, I am changed, and now I walk in that. And then he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Somebody's come and lied to you, and you've, been, you've bought the lie. Don't you remember Jesus Christ being preached to you as crucified in the way, the truth, and the life? Don't forget it. Why do you think Oh, foolish Galatians, he says it again, he's trying to make it a point here, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You never earned your salvation through acts of the flesh, so what makes you think you can now sanctify yourself through works? Keep relying on the Spirit. Remember, those who are under the works of the law are cursed. But those who live by faith are blessed. Look at Abraham. Look at his life. It was not by works of the law that he was saved. It was through his faith that he was counted righteous. Then chapter 4. No, I keep getting ahead of myself. The end of chapter 3. He explains what purpose was the law then. The law was sent as a tutor. The law revealed their sinfulness. It was put in place because of their sin. When Moses came down from the mountain and they were sinning greatly, God said, all right, we've got to put a few more rules in there now. They messed up, so we've got to really put it on them to make them realize how sinful they are. We've got to give them a system for sacrifices to cover this sin. We've got to show them how much they need Jesus. 
That is the purpose of the law. It taught them, and it teaches us now when we reflect on it and when we meditate on the purpose of that law when it was assigned to the Jewish people. So it had a purpose, and it was there. But now, at the end of verse three or chapter 3, he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, your, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. A promise that is activated through faith, not works. So, he reminds them of all this. And then in chapter 4, summed up in verses 8 through 11, he says, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature were no gods. Whether that's the law, idols, if they were pagans, whatever it may be. They were slaves to that. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. They've returned back to works of the flesh. They've gone from ritual to another set of rituals. If they were Jewish originally, they've returned back to Jewish practices. If they were pagans originally, they've gone from pagan practices to now trying to use Jewish practices to please God. Why have you done this, he says? Why are you turning back? And so now with all of this in mind, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Lord, I pray that you would bless this reading of your word. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, it's you that makes this come alive. It's you that speaks to each of our hearts. It's not our understanding. It's not my ability to come up here and speak it. It's you. Lord, I pray that you would work through me. Lord, get rid of me. and May it be you that speaks. Lord, get rid of the listener. May it be you that hears and interprets for their hearts to receive it. And I pray that for me as well. May I be changed. May each one of us be changed by the washing of your word as you, as you work in our hearts to make us more like you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, 
but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have, con- I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do things that you please. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, now help us understand it. Help us to rightly divide. Lord, help us to receive what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name. So, that's Galatians 5, 1 through 18. This false teaching of requiring observance of the law is knocking the Galatians off course. And this is particular to their scenario. But I say it's applicable to anybody today who is being tempted to work their way into heaven. There are many doctrines in the American church today that, and the church worldwide, I'm sure, but I'm familiar with the ones in the American one. uh, There are many doctrines that lead people to a life of servitude and bondage where they feel that they just can't ever do enough they can't ever they can't ever make God happy with them. They can't ever because somebody has taught them that you you ought to be living this way, you ought to be doing this number of things, you ought to be doing this and that. You should see these fruits in your life, they ought to be evident and based on some good things because you should see fruit in your life. You should see change in your life. But there's a fine line between seeing fruit and change and real Holy Spirit work and somebody trying to manufacture it. And and that's the difference here. There's the these Jewish uh, Judaizers, as they've been called, or the uh, party of the circumcision, whoever it is in this case, has come in and they say, oh, you Gentiles, you better... You better get circumcised. You better start following the law. Christ is great and all, but you've got to do this too. And, and that's wrong. And that has it's stirred up a problem in the church. And, and not only 
Is it knocking them off course? But it's spreading. It's like that when he says the, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, it's like, oh man, that kind of stuck in there awkwardly. But, but it has a very important purpose. He says it because when you have something like that come into a church, it's going to spread. It's going to grow unless it's cut off and taken out and dealt with. And when that happens, the church begins to bite and devour one another because there's division. Those who see it, those who have differing beliefs, even amongst the corrupt teaching, they'll fight one another because they want power. They want to be the ones who are dictating what's right and what's wrong. They want to be the ones who are in control. They'll bite and devour one another. Be careful so that you're not completely consumed, he says. Turn before it's too late. Deal with the struggle. Get rid of the bad apple before it ruins the whole bunch. It's the one we're a little bit more familiar with than leaven. But, you know, anyway, uh, some of us cook with, uh, you know, leaven, make some sourdough bread or something. But, but anyway, you know, it's the, the picture of a little bit of something spreading is what's important. It needs to be cut out. So that's what he's dealing with here. So now let's go back. We'll go verse by verse from chapter 1. Dig in a little bit deeper. And I am—I have no idea what any of you all's schedules are like today, but we're just now getting started on the main text, so hopefully you all are prepared for this. <coughs> no, I'll, I don't think we'll go too far over time. We'll see. Lord help us. Verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Are you free? Do you feel like your Christianity... Your salvation has set you free? Or do you feel like you've just stepped into another set of, of, of bindings that are holding you down and weighing you down? Christianity should be freedom. You should be broken free. And this is, I've always struggled with this verse. It's like, man, how's that, like, how am I going to teach that when I get to that? But, It's, it's such an important thing to meditate on, is this freedom. Think about what Jesus said in John 8. He said to the Jews, he said, the truth will make you free. And they were offended by it. They said, but we are the children of Abraham. We have never been slaves. What are you talking about? I'm like, didn't you read Exodus? I mean, <laughs> what are you thinking? You've never been slaves, really? You think that? But there was this, this pride of it. And, and think about Paul. He says he's a bondservant of Christ. So he says he has submitted himself to not being free. A bondservant, if you haven't heard that explained before, it's where an individual chooses to make themselves a permanent slave to their master. They, they are, you know, they're not in a bad situation where they've been bought, they've been captured in war, whatever, they're trying to get free. They're like, no, nope, I want to be a slave. I'm going to be a bondservant to this guy. And Paul says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So he's made himself a slave. But then he says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. So that's a very confusing thing. That's one reason why 
I mentioned at the beginning, we've got to remember God can, two things can exist that don't make sense, but God can make it make sense. And then I reflect, and this is a little bit maybe politically, not politically correct in this world, day and age, something my wife told me once <clears throat> as we were uh, several years into our marriage experience, and she was talking about learning to submit to my choices as a leader. And she was like, you know, as I learn to do this and to really submit and to trust your leadership, that is so relieving. And it, it, I feel just free. I feel like this weight has been lifted off of me. And, you know, I know there's, I don't, if the world heard me saying this, they're all like railing against me mad and like, ah, treat women fairly. And no, uh, I think it is a very fair treatment because it is just in this scenario, it is a choice. It's a choice to a, a standard and a system. We are submitting ourselves to God's plan. And in the same way that the woman, and this, this taught me so much, was submitting to the leadership of the man and, and letting that leadership give her freedom to know, hey, <laughs> if we mess up, it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, and that, that was a great freedom for her. Yeah, awesome. But in the same way, our relationship with God is like a marriage relationship. We've got to give up and say, okay, God, I submit to your leadership, and I am a bondservant to you, and that makes me free as I've ever been. And that is such an amazing truth here that if, like, I could not understand it for the longest time, but then reading it and meditating on it and taking that in and really thinking about that relationship in that way that sometimes submission and release and trust is the greatest freedom. And that's what we have to do with God. We have to say, Lord, I give you control. And I'm just going to walk by the Spirit and trust you. And if I mess up, I was trusting you. And because we're going to mess up. We're not perfect. But as you'll see, it's all about your heart. And are you submitted to Him and trusting Him? And then you have freedom to operate in the Spirit through love. So, all right, that's the first, like, sentence. Now, it wasn't even a sentence. All right, so continuing on in this first sentence of the section, he says, Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. <clears throat> this one's pretty clear. We just went through Galatians chapter 4, and they were returning to the law. Don't do it. Don't return to a system of works. You've been freed from that stuff. So don't return yourself back to it. Don't, and it's, it's tempting. We want to know, well, okay, just tell me what I need to do. That's a common statement people make. I want to get it right. Just tell me what I need to do. You, go, you want a pastor that you can go to, and they're just going to tell you, oh, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. Okay, do this in that situation. And that's, that's not the spirit-led life. That is a pastor-led life. That is a church doctrine, you know, books of whatever you're supposed to do led life. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Don't subject yourself to that again. <clears throat> Verse 2. 
Behold I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Hmm. Some pretty serious words there. And don't get hung up on the circumcision part. The whole, like, receiving circumcision was like a sign of committing yourself to this covenant relationship to God through the law. That was, it was like the big one that said you're committed to doing this. It's like making a vow before the Lord to say you will live by the law. That's, it's just the, it's kind of the symbol of a a law-abiding life. So basically what he's saying is, hey, don't bind yourself to living by the law because if you do that, you're going to have to live your whole life by the law. You're never going to be able to do it. You are, you are setting aside this wonderful grace that God has offered to say, oh, I am going to try to live by my ability to follow the law and make God proud of me. And you're never going to do enough. And so, you can't be justified by the law. If you seek to do it, you've fallen from grace. And grace is, is the greatest news that we have. The grace of Jesus Christ to save us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the grace of God. Don't dare put that aside to just have a system that you can live by. Verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Probably the most important word in there is waiting. Because the faith-led life, the you know, through the Spirit, and they, this, the other way this verse could be read is, uh, for we by the Spirit, through faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's just kind of a matter of interpretation. Um, but basically, what we're having to do is wait. We don't always get all the answers. We want them. We want to know, okay, what do I need to do today, Lord? How am I going to make you happy today? What I need to do, plan it out my next year of life. We want to have that kind of structured approach. And, you know, at work, that's great. Like, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that a manager really struggles with because I'm like, all right, you tell me what I've got to do to succeed, and I'm going to do it. I, I'd give me, I need a list because I can't read you. I'm not interpersonally able to tell this stuff. Just give me a list. Let me go for it. Let me knock it out and know that I've done well. And that's great for work, if that's the type of person you are. But that's not great for our relationship with God. In the same way, it would not be great for my relationship with my wife. How, how stale would that be? Let's make lists of what we want to do to make each other happy. You know, you need to communicate it. You need to ask questions. But you don't make like, okay, here's the law for Kyla to live by to make John happy. Here's the law for John to live by to make Kyla happy. We don't do that. That would never work. And it doesn't work with God either. It showed us 
And if you do that in a marriage, maybe that's a good idea early on to see the things we want, to see the things, you know, learn our love languages, learn all that kind of stuff. It's good to learn it. And that's what the law did. The law taught us a principle of God's expectations. But we can never keep that perfectly to make him happy. So you can learn through the law, but don't ever seek to live by it. We need to wait with patience on him for his, his, the hope that he gives us. So by the Spirit, by faith, we lean on him to wait for what he's going to do. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. This is a major verse out of the whole Bible. This is a huge verse to understand when you go to 2 Corinthians was it 5.10, and Paul says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for our works, both good and bad. Oh man, well I better start following the law or I better start, you know, find a church that can tell me what those works are. I need somebody to tell me what to do because I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. But he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. There's not a wrong choice. If you're a Jew and you're circumcised, fine. If you're not and you're not, then fine. It doesn't matter. Whether you, you know, wear a your Sunday best to church, or you wear flip-flops. It doesn't matter. It's fine. If you use musical instruments or not, it doesn't matter. It's fine. What matters is faith working through love. We believe God, and we do because we love. We trust God, and we serve Him because we love Him. I'm married to my wife, and I, I do things for her because I love her. Not even because she wants me to do them. Sometimes she's like, why'd you do that? Like, oh, I'm just, I love you. I was trying to make you happy. Sorry, it didn't work out that well. You know, I, I'm just trying to do things because I love you. And, and God, and sometimes the things that work out the worst, like I'm like, that did not, uh, I was dumb. Sometimes those are the things that she's like, I, I'm just glad you did it because you love me, and I'm just so happy with that. And same thing for her. When she, she'll do something for me, and I'm like, huh. <laughs> that was so sweet. Yes, man. And, and I'm just so encouraged because I know she loves me. And, and I'm like, all right, quit the bad attitude and be like, yeah, awesome. No, uh, it's, God is so happy when we do things because we love him. When we, we get up and we are going to read our Bible in the morning because we want to know him more, not because I'm going to read it every morning for the next six months and then I'm going to be righteous. No, it's I want to know God more. I want to know his face. I want to spend time with him and know him. And then when I have a baby and I'm up all night and I wake up and I'm like, oh, okay, I looked at the Bible. Lord, I love you. Sorry. He's like, it's all right. That was a rough night, wasn't it? And, and he loves us, and he's glad that we love him. 
And it's not performance-based. So circumcision or, or uncircumcision doesn't mean a thing. What means everything is faith working through love. All right, now I've got to go through the rest of this quick. That, that was kind of one of the high points, so I think we can get through the rest fast. All right, verse 7. <clears throat> you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. That's Jesus, by the way. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. That person, if there's just one person in there that's teaching this, it's going to spread. It's bad. You've got to get rid of bad teaching. You can't have a little bit of legalism in your life and just excuse it away. You can't have just a little bit of workspace mentality. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to work it all out. You can't have just a little bit of sin that you're okay with. You've got to repent from it. And because you love God and because you want to be closer to Him and you want to appear before Him and Him say, good done, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you want that, because you love Him. Not because you want to get a billion crowns and you want to be on the highest seat in the castle or whatever it is up there. But because you love Him. You want to do these things. You've got to get rid of all that stuff. Verse 10, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Saying, hey, don't let anybody tell you that this is what I'm teaching. I'm being persecuted by the Jews because of this. I'm still teaching just what I told you. Don't fall for any lie. Verse 12, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. That word means to cut themselves off. Apokopto is the Greek word there. Pull out a fancy thing there. I looked it up on my phone. Aren't I smart? Uh, anyway, that word means amputation. It's like, if this arm has gained green and it's going to spread and kill me, I better amputate it. I got to get rid of it. And his hope is that this person would recognize it and they'd cut themselves off. That they would remove themselves from the brotherhood. That they would not be that bad apple in the bunch anymore. But if they don't, the Galatians need to deal with it. Verse 13. Skipping over a bunch of notes here. All right. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's an important thing to not skip over. You are called to freedom, and we do have a lot of grace in our relationship with the Lord, but don't abuse it. You know, there are a lot of, a lot of really sad situations that happen in life where a selfish person will abuse the grace given to them and they, they take advantage of, of other people and that is an unhealthy relationship and we can't do that with God he's not going to put up with it so we can't say oh God's given us this freedom God has you know look at this wonderful grace thing 
So I don't got to worry about anything anymore. I got a pretty sweet deal here. It doesn't work that way. God's not fooled. God knows your heart. Don't let your freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled. Verse 14. Whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second most important precept we can teach our children. The first one is like it. Jesus says in Matthew 22, the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Basically, there's a couple of different renderings of that and the different words that are used. But if you study it in all the situations, basically what it's saying is everything in you, love God with all of it. Love God above everything else. And the second one is like it. Love other people. Love other people. And then you're going to do good things for them and not bad things for them. And the law is going to be fulfilled through you. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If you start abusing this freedom to do what your flesh desires, there's going to be division. There's going to be infighting. People aren't going to get along because you know what? Our flesh is going to make other people's flesh mad. And when their flesh gets mad, they're going to lash out. And then our flesh is going to be mad. And somebody else's flesh is going to be mad that those two people's fleshes are arguing. And all of a sudden... The whole church is divided because we're living by the flesh. And, and we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. Don't live by the flesh. It will lead to destruction. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's, a, it's another big one to meditate on. Think about how you live. Are you walking by the Spirit? If you are, you're not going to live by the flesh. Verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Do you know that Paul says, when the law came in, his flesh just wanted to sin all the more. When the Spirit leads us to do something, our flesh is going to want to fight against it all the more. When... There's temptation, there's argument, there's strife, there's discord. And the Spirit is telling us to speak peace, to speak love. The flesh is going to fight against it all the more. I tell you, some of the times I've been most in the Lord's will, I've been the most uncomfortable. Because my flesh wanted anything but to be doing that. My flesh wanted to go the complete opposite direction. And it was a nice confirmation that I was doing what God wanted me to do because I didn't want to do it. And I was uncomfortable. <clears throat> so the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Because the Spirit's going to lead us to do things that are uncomfortable for us. 
It's going to lead us to do things that are not selfish. You know what the, this whole flesh rebelling against the spirit is? Oh, I, <laughs> I did a terrible job setting that up. It's rebellion. I used the word, <laughs> I used the word in there. Rebellion. That's like, that's what sin is. Rebellion against God. It's the opposite of obedience. And rebellion is the child of selfishness and pride. Selfishness means we want something. Ooh, I need that. I need that big old nice ham sandwich. I got to go get it because I'm hungry. Sorry, I shouldn't be talking about food right now. But anyway, I want it. And, and I, I desire it. My selfishness is that I need this fulfilled. And then pride is to say, oh, man. That store owner wants too much for that ham sandwich. It's not really worth that much, but I deserve that ham sandwich. So I rebel against the law that says I can't steal, and I just go and I take it because I'm selfish. I, I think I need that ham sandwich, but my pride says I deserve that ham sandwich. I can go get what I want, and then I rebel against the law. And in the same way, when God tells us, when God leads us to do something by the Spirit, we want to say, oh, but that makes me uncomfortable. And I have the right to be comfortable. So I'm just not going to do that. And that's rebellion. Sounds a lot softer when you say it that way than stealing. But it's rebellion against God. Against the Spirit urging us to do something. So he says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on to explain a whole bunch of examples. And somebody would be tempted to take those examples of what is, uh, what is the flesh and what is fruit of the Spirit and say, oh, well, we've got to live by that. <laughs> you're turning that into a law. He's just make, giving examples of what these two things that are battling within us are. And we should see the things of the Spirit, and we shouldn't see the things of the flesh. We don't use that as a law to then now, um, okay, is it in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, or is it in a list of the fruit of the flesh? Oh, it's neither, so I'm okay to do it. No, no, I'm fine. No, it doesn't work that way. He's just telling us a general rule that if we are led by the Spirit, you're going to be living this way. And you know what all those things are? They're things that are, that are loving God or loving people. And there's no law against any of these things. Well, they're starting to turn that way here. But anyway, naturally, there's not any laws against these things because it's loving, it's kind. It's not going to be selfish and prideful. So live this way. Follow the Spirit and you will do it. So, I better just quickly end this, I suppose. Um, you know, that, the way Paul ends it really sums it up very well. When we apply the meaning of this to our life, how are we going to live? We live by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We don't let fear and impatience come into our lives and make us cling to something that's not Spirit-led. We don't let fear and impatience Make us start going out of our own effort to make God's will happen. 
Trust God. Trust His grace in your life. It may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. It may not be, you may not see the fruit you thought you were going to see. But if you love God and trust Him and love people, you can, you can trust the result. Don't fear that you're getting it wrong. Even if you do get it wrong, if you're loving God, it doesn't matter. God's grace is going to cover it, and you're going to go before Him. And even if you do things that are not, they're not right, you just kind of try it on your own a little bit here and there, and you never really got it right, guess what? You're going to stand before Him, and you're going to say, all right, that, that stuff, you know, some of this stuff wasn't, wasn't that great, but I'm so glad you loved me. I'm so glad you're a loving child. I'm so glad that you wanted to please me. I look at your heart, child, and I love you. That's what he's going to say. And that's God's grace. And that's why Paul always says in his letters, grace to you, grace be with you. Because that grace of God is the thing that surpasses everything else to comfort us and allow us to get through this life. How hard would it be if we knew we had to get everything right? Sometimes we do that to our own kids. But that's not what God says for us. He says, you were supposed to do it this way, but I knew you were never going to be able to. So I made a way. And by my grace, I cover all that. And if you just love me, I'm going to be excited to bring you into my kingdom. I'm going to make you an heir by faith through Abraham. That's what it says. We get to be an heir with Christ in God's kingdom. So go and live for Him. Let your works come from love. Let your actions come motivated through love of God and love of people. Don't bind yourself to any system, any way of thinking, trying to get ahead. Be patient. Trust the Lord to show you what you ought to do. If you love Him, you seek Him, He will show you and He'll make a way. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, <laughs> it, it just surpasses anything we would understand as making sense. But you chose to love us that way. So, Lord, I thank you. And I praise you for it. Lord, I thank you for your word, that we can read it that you've preserved it through the years, that we can have it today and read these truths. I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that whatever you've spoken to people here today, Lord, as you've spoken to me, as you've spoken to any individual, I pray that you just work in their hearts to, to be humbled, to come before you, to repent of any of their own works of the flesh that they might have been trying to do, where they might have been misguided in what they've done. I pray that they turn from that, that they get rid of this, this leaven that would spread in their lives, and it would really be a sickness that leads to them standing before, before you and having works of the flesh burned away as wood and, and being saved but, but seeing their works 
being useless before you. Lord, I pray that they would turn from that and they would let their lives be filled with love. They might work by faith through love to see true fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Lord, I pray that each of us would be motivated to not, not stand idle and, and, and watch people go through this life who need you, but let us reach out because we love them, because we want them to be saved. We want them to know you, not because it's, it's some check in the box we want to mark off, but because we love them and because we love you and we know you want them to be saved. Lord, let us, let us not study your word because it's a check in the box, but because we want to know you more. Lord, I pray that we would live life by love, through faith, serving you. And Lord, now I pray if anybody needs to come forward, that you would just move in their heart, that they would be bold to do it, that we would receive what you have to give, that we would receive prayer from brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would worship you. Lord, and if anybody doesn't know you and wants to know you now, that they would be bold to come forward and speak to one of us up here, whether it's myself or uh, any, of these, any of the leaders in the church who are up here, Lord, men or women, we would be so happy to talk to them. So just bring them forward to speak to one of us and that we could praise you for the work you've done. Lord, I love you so much. I'm excited to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.